So Arlene and I had the delight as empty nesters uh, over the holiday to spend it with just two days, but we loved it with, with our three adult sons and one wife of three years and the other one's engaged to be married this spring and it's fun just seeing them coming into a rhythm in their lives. But as parents, you never forget when they were little and we were joking about some of those when we were together. And last night actually at dinner, Arlene and I were talking about, boy, this glass of water looks good, doesn't it? You weren't thirsty a minute ago, were you? But now you might have been reminded. And she and I were talking about glasses of water. You, parents, even if you're empty nesters, you remember the days, and young parents, you know the routine at nighttime, bedtime, and the whole glass of water. Can I have a drink of water? Huh? It keeps going. It, you, you think you've got it all taken care of. Turn out the light, close the door quiet, move down the hall. Dad! Thought he was asleep. Yeah, buddy. Can I have a drink of water? You bet. Be right back. You go get it. You take it back. You guys know where this is going, right? It's, it's never won. And after a while, you're thinking, I think something else is up. And um, I know this will disappoint you to find out, but there is a, uh, for, for me, there was this direct correlation to the number of those times that would happen. And the later it would go in the evening, I was in inverse relationship with my spirit-filledness. And I became less spirit-filled as my patience subsided because he would keep doing this. It's one of those nights, Arlene and I were talking about it, and it was Andrew, our oldest. Uh, about the third or fourth time, I became unspirit-filled. <laughs> and I said, buddy, you know what? I, you have had enough water. Uh, you can't be that thirsty. If I have to come back in there, I'm coming in to discipline you. I thought, okay, and there was no was dead silence. I thought, boy, that was a, <laughs> I solved that problem. I get down to the end of the hallway about to turn into the living room. Dad, what, Andrew? When you come in here to discipline me, would you bring a drink of water? We're desperate for water more than we realize. Now, you and I live in Florida, the land of water. We're, kind of, we're almost underwater here. But the Bible takes place in the desert. The whole scene of the Bible is literally, as well as metaphorically, talking about the desert. We're going to come back to that, but first, let me again welcome those of you who've just kind of come on board. It was just with some, during some of our worship time with our newest Belong and Grow class, some new folks, some of you are new. And if you are new, maybe you came here during Christmas Eve services, want to check us out more and kind of say, there's something going on here, want to be a part of it. Here's the vision that we believe God's entrusted to us, engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Life and death is not just a matter of whether my heart's beating or lungs are breathing. It's a matter of whether I've been restored into a right relationship with God. Even when I don't know him, I'm still in his image. I'm an image bearer. So we're capable of great love and tenderness and creativity and relationship. And 
uh, ingenuity, but it's muted. We're, we're dead, the scriptures say, in our, in our transgressions and sins because we're separated from God. Jesus said, hey, I've come to accomplish something. In John 10.10, he gives his mission very clearly. It's what our vision statement is based on. He says, the thief wants to steal and to kill and destroy. You've been created for the Father's smile, for your, your fulfillment, but the enemy wants to rob that and, and throw counterfeit lies to you and substitutes. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it according to what you were originally intended for. That's not always a smile, but it's a restorative cadence of who I was intended to be as a human being. So as a result of that, we're taking some, our time going through John's gospel. We're calling this series Awaken because that's what the gospel calls us to do, to awaken to who he is, to who we are in his presence. And so we do this in kind of bite-sized chunks. We'll spend a few weeks, a couple of months, and, and, and then we'll go, go to another series and then keep journeying, but going through it paragraph by paragraph. Pastor Sean, Pastor Rob done a great job kicking us off this year, getting us back into this series. And we're now in John 7, but before we get there, I want to remind you of something that Jesus does throughout all the Gospels. But you see, particularly in John, he uses props. Thank you very much. People say, why do you use props? I said, Jesus used them. People say, Jesus didn't bring props up on stage. I said, he never went up on a stage. He walked amongst his props. You put those eyeglasses on and looking through when he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they don't need to worry about being cared for. Do you think he's not pointing to lilies in the field? When he talks about the, the seed of the word being sown, when, when it's sown, some of it falls onto ready soil, some of it falls on a rocky path. Do you think he's not pointing to a path and some, some soil next door? When he talks about the religious folks, the Pharisees, who get their act together on the outside, but on the inside, they're, 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 they're full of of bones, they're, they're dead on the inside, but pe pretending on the outside. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. Don't you, do you know, I think he's pointing right there to the tombs on the Mount of Olives. And you see that over and over when he says, I'm the gate, he's referring to a gate. Sound about sheep and goats, he's pointing to sheep and goats. They're, it's all there, but there's one uh, metaphor, there's one object lesson. Prop is a little, I don't even know that I like it. It tends to say, well, it's, it's needing to prop something up. Uh, and Jesus is not propping anything up, but he's illustrating it. We're image people, and that's why he used those images and analogies. One powerful one he uses is water. John 4, Samaria, desert. Not Disney, desert. Not concession stands everywhere, desert, woman's drawing water. He uses that as an opportunity to talk about, yeah, there's physical thirst, but that physical thirst and the physical water is a great illustration of our deep humanity thirst, our spiritual thirst to be restored and what he comes to do. Jesus answered her, John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and also if you knew who it was that asked you for, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The Hebrews referred to it as maim chayim, fresh water, living, moving, it's not stagnant. The passage we're going to come to today, he continues that 
prop, that metaphor, that analogy, that object lesson. And in light of that, I want to bring back a, a prop that I've used over the years with you. And if you're new, this is why I'm doing it, to, to let, so you'll get the context of it. If you've been here a while, a refresher is always good, especially at the beginning of the year, and especially given the text that we're looking at today, as you'll see, uh, it's almost impossible to talk about this text without talking about plumbing theology, pipes and buckets. To be a plumbing theologian, I just need to understand one thing. There's a difference between a bucket and a pipe. It's my gift of clarifying the obvious right there. What goes into a bucket stays in the bucket and stagnates. What goes into a pipe flows into that pipe and out elsewhere. And so what I do when I come to Jesus is I receive. People that do the religious thing, they'll receive and it goes nowhere and it stagnates. And If you've ever been in a uh, a stagnated religious community, it's a very sad thing when people are not being life-giving to one another and to their community and their neighborhoods and their culture. My relationship vertically with Jesus affects my horizontal relationship with people and communities and culture. And if my relationship with Jesus isn't having an impact on how I'm engaging with my vocation and my relationships and my workplace and my culture and my community, then there's something amiss in my relationship with Him. And I'm going to say that again. If we think that we got a great relationship going on here, but we're not, it's not impacting the way we're engaging with others, then there's something askew in our relationship with Him. This past Christmas Eve was awesome. Over 10,000 folks gathering together, so many of you invited folks. And this is not a guilt thing. It's not a guilt trip thing. It's just an accountability as well as an illustration aspect. So very distinct question. Did you, don't answer it out loud, but did you invite anybody to Christmas Eve? Very simple thing. It's not kind of describing the universe to them or it's just, hey, come celebrate Christmas Eve. It's amazing how many times we don't do that. We just, hey, this is for me. And if I did not invite anybody, that's a bucket tendency, but we don't need to stay there. Beginning of the year, we can move into a different arena and say, you know what? My relationship with Jesus needs to flow. Now, with that image, that prop, that object lesson in mind, I want you to turn to John chapter 7. Rob teed this up for us last week. Verse 37, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Just pick one up at uh, the welcome desk as our gift to you. But take a look on the screen, and I'll come back to this, but it's the festivals. There were festivals that Israel celebrated throughout the year, and this is the last festival, and this is the last day of the last festival of the year. It's in the autumn. It's in the fall. And John says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, and this is the festival of tabernacles, or Sukkot. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture had said, listen, rivers of living water will flow. So the woman at the well, I want you to, to come and drink living water, and then streams of living water will come from you. He's saying the same thing here. He wants us to get this. It's not just something off to the side. This is central to the gospel. 
If I'm believing Him in relationship, that's going to impact life in His name in the midst of my world. He says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this He meant the Spirit, whom those who had believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So he talks, he's talking about the blessing, the privilege, the calling of being rivers of life. I don't know that there is a better phrase in all of Scripture to bolster, to, to, to uh, flesh out our vision statement of engaging people to be fully alive than that one. It, uh, back up one verse to verse, 30, verse 38. It's actually in verse 37. This whole notion of rivers of living water, that bottom line. Rivers of living water engaging people as pipes, not buckets. Now, what are the traits of a pipe? Let's go back to let this text inform us of that. We've looked at this a few other times long ago, but again, God's convicted me and encouraged me even this week regarding us as a community and me individually regarding these traits. Let's take a look at three of them in this text. What's a pipe look like? Say, I want to be a pipe. I don't want to be a bucket. What's that going to look like? Trait number one, pipes are submitted. Submitted before Jesus, submitted before the reality of our thirst and the nature of our thirst, submitted before the reality that He alone can address those deepest yearnings for significance, those deepest yearnings for security. We can, take, we can chase after pleasure and prosperity and, and prestige and, and, and fun fixes and think, oh, those things will do it. Mm. A pipe is submitted to truth as well as grace, and the saying, I'm submitting my thirst to you. Go back to the text in verse 37. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come and drink. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Israel had seven festivals, seven primary festivals or feasts during each year. Started in the spring and moved from the spring to uh, right after that and then into the fall. So in the spring, the first festival was Passover, celebrating their release from captivity in Egypt. Then came the Feast of Unleavened Bread, their arrival in the pro into the, the Promised Land. Then the Feast or the Festival of First Fruits. Fifty days after Passover came Pentecost or Shavuot. Then in the fall, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and then the Feast or Festival of Tabernacles. It was also called the Festival of Booze or the Festival of, of Sukkot. Now, three of those seven festivals were pilgrimage festivals. People would come from all over Israel to Jerusalem. The first was Passover, then Pentecost, and the third pilgrimage festival was Tabernacles. Each of those three, the, the population of Jerusalem swelled. Now, tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, it was the greatest celebration of all because it was the last one. It was the one often that was, it was dominantly attended and just a, a, a frenzy of celebration and feasting and gratitude. It was at the end of the harvest, celebrating the harvest. There are several themes that came out in the Feast of, 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 of Booths, the Feast of Shavuot. A couple of themes, one we'll look at next week. Uh, of light, but also water was another thing. 
Booths, they would build booths for themselves. They would stay here. Jerusalem couldn't accommodate everybody. And they'd have these booths talking about their, them being pilgrims in the wilderness. There was that. But I want you to focus on the water. So, 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon's dedicating the first temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. And because the dry season is done, harvest is taking place, and now they're praying that rain will come in the coming year. And so part of the Feast of Tabernacles was prayer for rain, saying we need rain just as we need God, and we need God just as we need rain. And so each day the high priest would take a golden pitcher and go from the temple down to the pool of Siloam, dip it in the temple, and it was a procession. It would come back with the other priests, and they, the people would be singing Hallels. No, we just were singing Hallel. Hallel Yah. Praises to Yah, Yahweh. Hallel Yah. Hallelujah. And they would be singing that and celebrating. And the high priest would pour from that golden pitcher into a funnel that would come down. And again, we're not talking about a few dozen people, thousands of people. Jerusalem is packed. On the last day of the festival, the high priest would come very similarly, but they would do something different. They would encircle the altar, march around seven times, and everything that had been a frenzy in the weeks, in the days before was elevated, and the passion, the excitement, the volume, the thunderous applause. Then when he would pour, it would become quiet, and the people would say, we need rain just as we need God. God, bring the rain. And just as we need rain, we need God. That's the context. The court of the Gentiles is jammed with thousands of people. And at some moment, we don't know when, but in a moment of quiet. This guy from Galilee. Go back to verse, go back to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, a warning, I'm going to do a loud voice. This is not some little guy with a perm in his hair and manicured nails. It says, hey, if anybody's not doing anything, I'm kind of starting a new religion if you want to come join me. In a loud voice, he stood and said, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Anybody know the, the Jewish phrase or Jewish word chutzpah? That's chutzpah. That's courage. That's authority. He said, You, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you? Are you? Come to me for living water. All right, here's a question. How many human beings are thirsty for Jesus? It's one of them preacher questions, isn't it? How many people are thirsty for Jesus? Pascal, the ancient uh, the French uh, philosopher, mathematician, 
as well as tons of other philosophers and Jesus himself. We're all thirsty for God. We all have a God-shaped hole within us. Everyone is thirsty for Jesus, but it's pipe who are submitting their thirst to Jesus. We, to every person is thirsty, and we take our thirst somewhere. It might be to power. It might be to possessions. It might be to money or fun fixes. It might be to overt sin or taking good stuff and putting it in a God hole and trying to shape it. But all of us, there is nobody here online or on this planet that is not seeking to quench their thirst. The question is, will I submit my thirst to Jesus? In Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus, verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's when I take my hunger and thirst in the direction of a right relationship with God. That's what righteousness is. For they, and the Greek's emphatic, you've heard me say it before, they and they alone are the ones that are going to be filled. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up, listen to this, break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. You've seen that, if you've journeyed with us, you've seen that passage before, you'll see it again. It's a powerful, I am praying for revival in this church, in this community, in this culture. It is the only hope for this nation. And if we are going to seek God for His Spirit to come in revival, here Jesus is referring to that in this festival, it will, it will be connected to us breaking up our unplowed ground. What's unplowed ground? It's hard as a rock. It's cracked. You throw seed onto unplowed ground, it just clatters. It doesn't take root. What's going to happen when you leave this building. What's going to happen when you online close your laptops or turn off your phones? The seed of God's Word will be on our heart. The, the, the question will, will we be submitted to Him or not? Will we break up our unplugged ground and say, God, I need to hear that. I, I need to inculcate that. I need to let it into the soil of my heart. I want to submit. I want to break up my unplowed ground. And I want you, would you come and shower, shower righteousness on us? That's what a pipe does. We're submitted. Secondly, pipes are satisfied. And when I say satisfied, don't think gluttonous. Don't think, I mean, we, you and I, we're in an amazing consumer culture. You know what this is? Oh, it's not a big gulp. That wasn't big enough. It's a super big gulp. Back in 1955, McDonald's restaurants, when they opened, their largest drink was a seven ounce soft drink. This is nine ounces. I couldn't even find a seven ounce. Super big gulp, 44 ounces. This is a third of a gallon. We've become so, we, we just think if more is better. And if I can just get more, I'll be satisfied. You know what? 
That is not the end. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative. It's not what, it's not how much, it's what. What am I thirsting for? Satisfaction comes not just from a lot of something. We think, hey, if I don't have enough property, I get more, that'll be enough. I don't have enough money, I get more, that'll be enough. Don't have enough friends, I get more, that'll be enough. It's not the, it's not the how much. It's the what. Go back to the text and look at verse 38. He says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, and this is right after, he's still speaking. The people are stunned. In the midst of this water ceremony, he's saying, whoever's thirsty needs to come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, which is through, we'll look at a number of those passages this morning, just metaphors throughout Scripture. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Jesus told that woman at the well in chapter 4, verse 13, he said, Everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. You think you got enough friends to satisfy? It won't be enough. Think you got enough money? It won't be enough. Think you got enough titles, enough degrees, enough fun fixes, enough vacations? The list goes on and on. It won't be enough. But whoever drinks the water, I give them the, the, the Maim Haim, the living water, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. I mean, you talk about, he says, the Scriptures proclaim it. The Old Testament's filled. There are a number of references to this. One example would be a prophecy, of mess, a messianic prophecy, Isaiah 44, verse 3. He says, for I will, God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And you see that happening. You see me coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And that's where we're headed. Revelation chapter 22, at the, at, on that great day, verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You and I need to move past our land of big gulps and lushness and go back to the desert in our understanding of this text, in our understanding of what this teaching is. There were a desert people. They didn't do water. Water was precious. Those of you who are involved in ministries that provide clean water around the world, you get it. Thank you for doing that. I encourage you to put yourself in that mode. Uh, Israel's a desert land. I've been there several times. In fact, we've got some people from Northland that are over there right, right now. I've been there several times, a couple of times with the, the privilege of being there with a guy named Ray Vanderlaan, uh, who's just a brilliant teacher. He says, you got to learn it by, 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 by foot. You got to walk the land. And we would hike. I mean, you had to, you had to pass, be ready and be in shape. And uh, it wasn't just going from tour bus to tour bus. So we're, this particular area where you're seeing these photos is in a, a, a land where David was fleeing from Saul in 1 Samuel 23. It's hiding from him, hiding for his life. We were hot. We were tired. Temperatures, 110, something like that. And all of a sudden, we come around an area, and David hid from Saul at an oasis called En Gedi. This is En Gedi. Not that big, but you get a little bit closer, and you, we heard it before we saw it. You hear that 
that living water. And some of the stuff that happened to you earlier when I started taking a drink in your salivary glands. They get, oh, I am so hot. It's beautiful. It's not that big, but it's in the midst of the desert. We had dust, dirt caked on us and sweat and dried sweat upon layer after layer. Uh, but one, the, one, an image I want you to have is this next one. One of the couples that was with us, they just said, we're going in. And he, uh, uh, the husband and wife just got underneath that waterfall spontaneously in their hiking stuff. And you know what? The rest of us did as well. It was amazing. That's what Jesus says. He says, let me be your Engedi. Come frolic in me. Come take a dive. Don't just take a little slurpy, a little sip here and there. Let me be your river. Come to me, be satisfied. Come to me and taste. What is it? Security you need? Come experience that from me. Significance? Come experience it from Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one. In other words, this is somebody that brings punishment really upon themselves. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. Never fails to bear fruit. Now, you continue to be in the desert. He doesn't take away the dust, the heat. He says, I'll just be your Engedi in the desert. I'll be your living water in the desert. Not a big gulp. Your living water. Your grace. The grace that you're yearning for. The truth that you're yearning for. So what are you, what are you wanting at the beginning of this year? What's going to satisfy you this year? Bigger bank account, more clients, more vacations. I mean, we all have these different big gulp type things. Ecclesiastes says, chapter 5, verse 19 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. You can replace money with friends or with titles or with fun fixes, whatever. If, if that's what you're putting your hope in, it's not going to be enough. The Scripture is filled with descriptions of those who are not satisfied and those who are satisfied. That's a description of somebody who's not satisfied. Here's one of somebody who is, Psalm 63, verse 5. This is David. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Where does that come from? Where does he get that from? Where does he get that satisfaction? That's verse 5. Look at verse 1. Psalm 63, verse 1. 
And what I want you to do, every time you see the three-letter word you, I want you to say it out loud, and I don't want you to mumble it. I want you to proclaim it. We're the people of God. And what David is saying is the reason I'm satisfied is because I've acknowledged, I've submitted my thirst to you. You alone are the one that can satisfy it. So whenever you see the three-letter word you, you're going to proclaim it. Deal? Huh? Here we go. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's not going to change. What will change if I come to you as my Engedi? And I say, you alone will satisfy me. Now here's the deal. While we're in the desert, temptations come along. When you're just a mile from Engedi, those photos where I just showed you, in the midst of that dirt, one of the places we passed before we got to Engedi, we're all hot and thirsty. You come across, and there was this little cleft in our, in, on our trail, and looked at the distance and saw this body of water, and you said, now that's what I'm talking about. New Smyrna Beach right there. <laughs> in fact, you get a little closer, and it is almost, it's breathtaking. And you th you're, you're, we were hot, we were thirsty, that's where we want to go. Yes, no. Guess which sea that is? It's the Dead Sea, it's salt water. It looks great, but it's deadly. I was reading over the break some memoirs of the chief medical officer from the USS Indianapolis during World War II, went on a secret mission, was torpedoed, sank. It was three days before anyone even knew they were missing. Hundreds of men drowned, died of shark attacks. But the chief medical officer is saying the most tragic thing for him, the most difficult thing, was convincing the men not to drink the salt water. And he said the younger and more immature ones were the first to go because it looked so good. They were so thirsty. They didn't realize if you drink this, you will die. Pipes submit their thirst to the one who alone can satisfy. Pipes submit their thirst. They say, you know what, the mirages, I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going there. John 17, verse 3, this is what I'm thirsty for. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You guys know from journeying with us at all, that's the one time Jesus defines this life that we're thirsty for. It's intimacy with God, an intimacy with Him that filters into all of our lives, walking with Him on a daily basis that impacts the way we do life, walking with Him with such intimacy that we live all of our days, not just church, it's every day with a sense of awe and worship at His creation, with courage, engaging with our brokenness, with the confidence of His healing, understanding as an imago Dei, as an image bearer, I'm going to be creative in His image, and there's creativity waiting on me every day, creative acts of justice and construction, creative acts of relationship and, and, and reconciliation. I engage with a sense of depth, rooting my journey in the Word of God, engaging with other people with the life of, uh, of Jesus, walking and doing it. This is not a one-on-one -on -one only, it's communal. We're in fellowship with one another relating with Jesus, been being generous with our finances, our time, our abilities, being men and women of heart, not just going through the motions intellectually with Christianity, and not just doing it, but seeing, doing it with our actions without our hearts engaged, but our 
heart being engaged in intimacy, knowing today is part of the great journey. Now, if you've been with us at any length of time here at Northland, you know what I just did is I went through the 10 ABCs of being fully alive. That's what intimacy with Him looks like. That's what that satisfaction begins to take shape as. But that's just the two characteristics, then the third of a pipe. I'm submitted, and as a result of being submitted, I'm satisfied. And it's a dynamic, it's not saying, oh, we're done, got my big gulp. No, it's, it's continually, on a daily basis, being satisfied by intimacy with Him. Man, that's good. Third, the third, third trait is being sent. Guys, we're not just here for us. Jesus said, in a loud voice. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and he who believes in me will become rivers, rivers of living water in communities, in cultures, in families, in relationships. It's not just me saying, oh, I want it for me. It's we're seeing that flow through us. The other people in verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come down and come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? The guards replied, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus was a pipe of the truth and love of, and grace of God, the life of God. We're called to be, we're, we're sent. That does not guarantee that we will be welcomed. We just got to be obedient. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he says, you're going to be, we're, we're an aroma of life to those who are being saved and aroma of death to those who are perishing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation's come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message. Look at this. He's done this, and he's given us something to do, the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. We've talked about, you know the Greek word for ambassadors there is pipe. It's not, it's not, but I always like to think it could be. As though God were making his appeal. Look at this. I'll read the text. Look here. As God was making his appeal through us, the reason that you've tasted the living water of Jesus, if you have, is because somebody in your life, probably more than one person, was a pipe. And God made his appeal through them. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week as God's co-workers. We urge you not to receive his grace in vain. Receiving his grace in vain is letting it stop here and not flow elsewhere. And earlier Paul talked about, he said, you know what? He's given us this, this message we're the fragrance of Jesus. To some, it'll be the aroma of death. To some, the aroma of life. That's not your concern. 
Our concern is simply to be life-giving. Whether people reject it or not is up to them. Now, I do need to clarify one thing. Jesus said, blessed are those of you who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. A lot of people say, yeah, I do the Jesus thing with people, and man, people really reject me. There are times that, that they're, they're rejecting you not because you're being life-giving, it's just because you're being weird as a religious person, all right? Don't be weird as a religious person. Be somebody who loves Jesus and is contagious with that. Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine on us. Why? Guys, Northland's an amazing community of people. May He be gracious to us and bless us so that what? We can get all into our new day as an institution? No. So that we can be a nice, comfortable, religious community? No. May God be gracious to us and bless us so that your name, your ways may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. If his name isn't being known, his salvation isn't being known, we're, there's a stoppage somewhere in here, and it's not getting through. And the thing I'm excited about, Isaiah talks about us being well-watered gardens that are restorers of broken walls and of ancient ruins, and may be, re be restorers of a culture that is fraying at its core. And the answer is a revival that comes with his spirit, but it's God's people being submitted, being satisfied, but then know we're being sent as life givers. We'll be welcomed by some, not welcomed by others. That's up to Jesus. In the meantime, we'll know His smile and His purposes will be fulfilled. And that's what it's about to be a community of rivers, rivers of living water. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your grace that is life-giving. And some of us have come desperately needing something from you, and you want to provide that. You want us to come under that waterfall of grace. You want us to dive into your in Getty, into your living water, but you also want us to become in Gettys to the people around us. Right now, would you put, in our, put your finger in our minds of who you're wanting us to be an in Getty for this coming week? Who do you want us to be a river of living water for this week? Would you nourish us toward that end? I pray this in the name of the living water. Amen. Amen.